Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Functional Retirement Podcast, where we merge retirement planning and health. I'm your host, Thatcher Taylor. I'm a certified financial planner. And on this podcast, we're going to explore the convergence of health with retirement planning and how it affects longevity risk, income distribution, protection, estate planning, and everything that goes in to an optimal retirement. We're going to do that with some solo shows with myself, with educational videos and topics, but we're also going to utilize expert guests in the fields of retirement planning and health. So without further ado, let's get into it. All right, here we go. Today, we're talking about risk versus volatility. And I know initially that seems like arbitrary words that I'm just throwing together, like semantics, but they're not the same. But I bet people are using these simple words interchangeably or incorrectly. But I mean, I'm coming in hot today. It finally struck me. This whole risk versus volatility thing finally struck me while I was watching my kids for five days. I had two children. My wife was out of town for five days, and I had to watch them both. One's five and a half. One is almost two. But just to be clear, I get the trophy. I get the family trophy because I have now watched two kids for the longest period of time alone. So I'll bank that and use that later. But I realized for the past five days that it was basically just a lesson in risk management and volatility. So the balancing act that parents like me take and make is to assume enough risk to let their children grow without exposing them to catastrophe that actually reduces their growth or hurts them. That's what we're trying to do. We want to expose them and give them enough freedom, enough freedom and enough rope and leash to be able to go grow and try some crazy things and be exposed to a little bit of risk. You know, you're not going to throw them out of a plane right now, but on the park, on the playground, there's some things where they could get hurt. An example of this is my two-year-old on the playground climbing the arched ladders. You know, the ladders where it goes up a little bit higher instead of going straight up and down, they kind of start arcing a little bit as it gets towards the platform before it gets to the slide. He loves those. He's two, almost two, and he can't stay off them. Because it's a new cool thing that he can do. It's a new trick that he can do. But at the top, when it goes flat, he doesn't completely get how to stay stable and push his feet against the bars. So he falls through almost every time. And of course, I wanted to practice climbing. So of course, I let him do it. You know, I like to give a lot of freedom, maybe kind of stupidly, but I do it anyway. He almost breaks his legs and arms multiple times. So to mitigate the risk, I just stand right there to kind of catch him from falling. So he gets to the top and he loses his attention because that's what he does. He's looking around, see what other kids are doing, but he loses his attention and sometimes he'll fall through. So all I do is silently, I don't touch him until I absolutely have to and relax. I know that we can go into, well, real life doesn't catch you when you fall type of discussion, but we'll save that for another day. But I don't touch him unless I absolutely have to. And he doesn't even know the difference. And as far as the five-year-old, my daughter, Lily, this particular park we go to here in Boise is called Camel's Back Park. Camel's Back Park, not to be confused with Camelback Park in like the Phoenix, Scottsdale, Paradise Valley area. But on this hill, they have a bunch of steps. And you climb up to the top of the hill and you get a great view of the city. And then there are some other trails to get your way back down. Well, I give her freedom. 
I let her climb the hill on her own. She's climbed with me a couple of times, but I let her climb the hill on her own. And there is seriously the risk where she could slip and fall. Even with some of the steps, they kind of like angle backwards. So there are steps going up the hill, but they angle backwards. I let her go. I give her the freedom to operate. And if you're going to be like, well, what if she gets stolen? Relax. The chances of a child these days getting taken is so low. And you know what's crazy about that? Not to get too deep into I'm a great parent, but the likelihood of a child getting taken now is far less, but parents are far more scared of their child getting taken than say 30 years ago when we were all growing up and our parents made us leave the house and go out and get lost. And that's when the chances of getting stolen were very high. Isn't that kind of interesting? But this is all a process of managing risk and volatility. And the same risk management is what we do in our financial world, the risk versus reward trade-off. So this is what we're going to discuss today. We're going to clear the air on risk and volatility, thanks to watching my kids. And if you're listening to this podcast, you can also watch it on YouTube, youtube.com slash at functional retirement. Link's going to be below or vice versa. If you're watching it and you want to take me with you, you can check this out on Spotify, Google, Apple, Amazon, or you can even web stream it at buzzsprout.com. That link's going to be below as well. And make sure you stay to the end where we talk about ways to mitigate both risk and volatility. So let's fire it up. Have you ever heard somewhere, maybe from a person selling a product, we're going to use this to help reduce risk. And that means safety. It's going to make you feel a little bit better. You're going to feel safer. So besides my kids that I've had to watch the past five days, let me give you another example of risk that I didn't mitigate. I have a MacBook Pro. I use it for my business. It's the diesel MacBook Pro. It's a great laptop. I walked in the other day with a smoothie with no lid. And for no apparent reason, probably because I'm really, really smart, I spilled the smoothie all over my computer. I almost ruined it. I had to take it in. Couple buttons don't work great, but I got the computer back and it's fine. This is a really simple and great example of risk because risk is unexpected and it's usually very obvious after the fact. I maybe should have had a lid on it or drank that away from the laptop, but I've done it hundreds of times. I've been working by this laptop day after day for years and I've never spilled anything on it until that day. Or what about the risk of walking at night on a busy street? We've all heard the stories of people getting hit by cars at night. People can't see you. The risk of walking at night increases. But in investing and preparing for retirement, we also talk about our money and assets as being risky or the risk of losing everything. And that's why in risk, we got to find that balance of risk to reward. So risk is the chance of something harmful or unexpected happening. Risk is very common in the insurance world. The risk of fire and losing your home, the risk of an earthquake or a structure breaking, and the risk of an auto accident. There's a risk of premature death. Life insurance comes into play. When insurance companies mitigate risk or evaluate risk, they have a specific person that analyzes the financial costs of risk and uncertainty. Those people are called actuaries. You have to understand risk is a big business. It's not just about insuring risk, but it's about selling things that protect against risk. 
That's when people, including stockbrokers, advisors, insurance agents, and planners use risk to describe any price movement. So you have an asset, you got to protect it. It may drop in value. Let's protect it because it's very risky. This is like the parent saying, there's a high risk with a kid running on grass and thinking that they're going to fall off a cliff. This is incorrect. You know how I know this is incorrect? Because there's a word in existence that describes price fluctuations that a lot of professionals and regular people use to describe risk. There's a word that's already created. People have already utilized this. That word's called volatility. Volatility measures the dispersion of returns for a given investment or security. Volatility is just a fluctuation in price. Volatility is very specific and volatility is not risk. Going back to my kids analogy, over five days, I saw a variety of what I would call volatility. This usually came in the form of temper tantrums or frustration. Have you ever seen those magnetiles or magnetic blocks and the kids love to play with them? They're like these plastic blocks with magnets in there and they can build structures and design things with them. In a 10-minute window, my kids could be laughing and playing together and have a great time. And then all of a sudden, they could be throwing the blocks at each other, crying, begging for more blocks, blaming the other person for taking their blocks. Then they're calm. And then there's yelling. At any moment, a child's temperament could change. This is volatility. The cool thing about volatility with investing is we can actually put a number to volatility. It's called standard deviation. So let's go over an image together. This is a great way to describe standard deviation. So you can see this image here, standard deviation. Let's just take stock XYZ. There's a variety of stocks, ETF, mutual funds that can we, we can use to evaluate this. But let's take stock XYZ. Let's say the mean return. So we take the trail end returns. We get rid of them, the extreme returns on the top end, extreme, end, extreme returns on the bottom end, and we find the mean. And then say the standard deviation, which is a calculation that can be done, is 5%. So this is a standard bell curve that you can see here. You can see in between these first two lines is 68.26% of all outcomes that are going to happen are going to fall in between these two lines. As we move out to the next two lines, you can see that 95.44% are going to fall between these two outcomes. And then if you move out to the furthest dotted lines, 99.72% of all outcomes are going to fall in between those dotted lines. Now, what does in between those dotted lines mean? You can see here that I created a row of percentages. The first line, the dead center line, is 12%. That is our mean return. So if our standard deviation is 5%, there's a 68% chance that between one standard deviation one way or one standard deviation the other way, there's a 68% chance that our return is going to be between 17 and 7%. Going out to 95% chance that it's going to be between 22 and 2%, which means that it could move between two standard deviations of the mean. Or there's a 99.72% chance that it's going to move 
three standard deviations from the mean, which means it could get up to 27% return or be a negative 3% return. This is called volatility, and it's a way to track it. Each way, like I mentioned before, the risk, there are actuaries, but volatility, we can use statistical analysis to measure how much a particular investment will move. So this is what I like to use. Say this is the S&P 500. It's not, but let's just use an example. And people are like, oh my gosh, the S&P 500 is so risky. Well, this could be very similar. And in any given period of time, there's a 99% chance that the return is going to be between 27% and negative 3%. That's a pretty reasonable expectation based on past results to see how volatility could play into the actual return of an investment. But there's another tool that can be used to measure volatility, and it's called the VIX, the V-I-X. This is built by the Chicago Board Options Exchange, which is an exchange. They created the VIX, which is the CBOE, the Volatility Index to measure the 30-day expected volatility of the United States stock market. A slang term for this is called the fear index. This index can be seen in real time what the potential volatility or price swings are in the stock market. So you can look at this and you can see how it represents the S&P 500. It's clear that when people are most fearful or most emotional or are arguing over magnetiles, Pick a time, say March 2020, the COVID crisis, or 2008, the housing crash. You can see that the volatility on the VIX is very high and highly correlated to the movements in the marketplace. But what is simply a change in price, people will use the word risk to describe that action. So let's dive deeper into how delineating the two can help your wealth and health grow. So just a reminder. Risk is the potential of something bad happening. Volatility is just the change in the price in the underlying asset or market. Just like my kids, volatility or emotion can happen at the same time as a major risk. So they could be screaming, dangling from a place that's very dangerous. So there's volatility and emotion at the same time that there's very high risk. But a lot of times, the volatility or the crying will be over very very soon. An example of this is my daughter will hang from the rings that are about a foot off the ground. She gets so scared that she doesn't realize she can just drop. And then she figures out she can drop. So that's an example of how the volatility, the emotion does not apply to the risk. So one of the most common things I hear or read is stocks are too risky. The market is a risky place. I risk losing money in the stock market. An example of how risk is increased by your own devices are those thought processes. So say you are invested in the market, you create your self-fulfilling prophecy by having an investment, you invest a million dollars, you look a few days or months later and it's worth $900,000. When you sell that asset out of fear, you have sealed your fate at your loss of $100,000. So you're selling in down markets. You see the volatility, boom, lost money. Risk is owning one or a few small stocks, which yes, statistically could cause you to lose money by having the stock go to zero. But there are always ways to mitigate this. We're going to discuss that soon.
But understand when people use a phrase, the market is a risky place, it could have came from an example of them owning a stock or two and having a terrible experience. Now, let's be clear. A very risky asset could have a ton of volatility. No doubt. A very risky asset could have a ton of volatility. Think of really small startup company stock. In addition, a very volatile asset could have very low risk. Say a growth exchange traded fund with a lot of smaller tech companies could have a lot of price swings, but over long periods of time, is it really that risky? Let's use Enron, for example. Everyone remember Enron? The American Energy Corporation that in 2001 was wrapped up in a scandal of irregular accounting practices and then kaput. Enron's company stock price wasn't particularly volatile. But if you own just one, if you owned all, if your entire investment portfolio was all in Enron stock, you were exposed to too much risk. Single companies risk can be a risk factor for you. And that risk became a reality. But do you think if you had a portfolio of say a thousand stocks and one of them was Enron and Enron went under, do you think that that would be catastrophic? Probably not. So first let's break down a few different types of risk when it comes to investing. We briefly described insurance risks above, you know, the risk of fire, the risk of theft, car accidents, earthquakes. We talked about those types of hazards. But insurance risks are a little bit different than market risk. And market risks can be described a little bit differently, sort of in two categories, systematic and unsystematic risk. Systematic risk refers to risks that are inherent in the overall market or economy. These risks cannot be diversified away because they infect the entire market and are therefore sometimes referred to as, like I mentioned before, market risk. Examples of systematic risks include like economic recessions, 2008, it was unavoidable, wars, interest rate changes, like we've noticed lately, and natural disasters where there's no real way to protect those by just diversifying amongst a lot of different asset classes or different types of stocks. You can potentially, but not always. But it's very difficult to protect against systematic risk. Possible, but very difficult. On the other hand, unsystematic risk, where it's not a big systematic or system-wide change, refers to risks that are specific to a particular company or industry. This type of risk is also known as idiosyncratic risk. And examples of unsystematic risk include a company's poor management decisions. Enron, a product recall, or let me add this, Silicon Valley Bank. That's an example of unsystematic risk, the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. These types of risks can be reduced through diversification, owning a lot of different types of investments. So let's take Enron and Silicon Valley Bank, for example. Different industries, they both collapsed for different reasons. Enron fraud, Silicon Valley Bank, just stupid decisions. But say you own some blue chip stocks, Apple, Procter & Gamble, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, and you held those assets, you can diversify out because those other companies in different industries were not affected by the same decisions. By investing in a variety of companies and industries, you can spread the risk 
and reduce the exposure to unsystematic risk. So some other risks could be inflation risk, purchasing power risk, longevity risk, healthcare risk, business risk, political risk. These types of risks usually can be protected against with diversification and owning different asset classes. So in summary, between systematic and unsystematic risk, systematic affects the entire market, while unsystematic risk is specific to a particular company or industry. You cannot diversify away systematic risk, but you can diversify unsystematic risk. And you need to be aware of both types of risk when you're investing. It's not just a blanket statement, the market is risky. It's deeper than that. It's going to the next level. It's thinking with system two. So we're trying to manage risk the best that we can, but we're also trying to manage volatility. But we do that differently. We talked about how we can manage systematic and unsystematic risk to the best of our ability. But let's dive in specifically to helping to mitigate volatility. One is diversification. You can have diversification not only amongst different stock types, but you can go from stocks to bonds to cash, different types of stocks, different types of bonds, different types of cash. You can have assets in houses, in businesses of your own. You can move through your corporation, develop more revenue to help protect you against paying off debts. Diversification is really important to having a good, sound way to protect against market fluctuations. Hedging, this is more complex and is usually a strategy used by more proficient trading and investment advisors. But it's the process of eliminating uncertainty by entering into an agreement with a counterparty, usually like options. Examples include forwards, options, future swaps, and other derivatives that provide a degree of certainty about what investments can be bought or sold in the future. So that's like an options contract. A call option is the ability to buy something in the future at an already predetermined price. Or a put option where you have the ability to sell something at a predetermined price. And it's far more complex than that. But there are ways that you can hedge to help with volatility. Insurance is a great way to protect from volatility because you can pass the risk or the price fluctuation onto the insurance company. Now, there's a lot more intricacies that go into that. We'll probably have a podcast about this in the future, but you need to make sure that the right insurance is in place to help protect against volatility in the marketplace and helps protect your personal situation. Lastly, planning. Planning, we can structure your financial world to make sure that you're mitigating volatility. Plus, planning is an understanding that just because you have some short-term price fluctuations does not mean you're losing money. If you don't need that money for 30 years or more, volatility now becomes irrelevant. A really good quote from Howard Marks, which is a really popular investment manager, is in thinking about risk, we want to identify the thing that investors worry about and thus demand compensation for bearing, I don't think most investors fear volatility, Howard Marks. I agree with him, but I think people confuse risk and volatility. So specifically, one example of trying to reduce volatility in a real-world retirement example is retirement income. The best way I can use this, and I'm not using recency bias. We don't know what the next recession is going to look like. I know people talk about a lot of recession stuff right now, but don't worry about that moment. But go back down to 2008, 2009. Let's rewind. In that period of time, the stock market was down 40 to 50%. If you were going into retirement in 2008, 2009, and the market crashed, 
And a lot of your assets were in an investment portfolio where you were planning on utilizing those assets as an income supplement in retirement. You would, in that point, have to sell off assets that were worth less, which is something that we don't want to do. That's what I talked about above. We don't want to do that. So one way to mitigate volatility is what if you planned ahead and put some of those assets while the investment portfolio was stable and doing good things in a place where some of those assets were easily accessible regardless of how the market was operating. This is a really high quality way to start building your income distribution strategy. This is how risk and volatility play together. But volatility, if you didn't need the money and your retirement time horizon was 10 years or longer, or maybe even a few years past that, after a couple of years, you would have recovered and had a great decade from 2000, basically 10 or 11 to 2019. It was a phenomenal 10 year run. So mitigating volatility is really important. If you start to use that volatility to make decisions, you're exposing yourself to more risk. As we come to a close here, it's important to think about your financial decisions in two forms. First, how risky is this financial decision and how can I mitigate this risk? Second, how much volatility am I willing to accept and will this volatility accept my decision making? These are two really important questions that you need to ask as you go through your financial life and your retirement planning. We're going to come to a close here. Thank you so much for listening. I definitely appreciate your support. I hope you like this podcast on risk versus volatility. If you would like to meet with me directly, please feel free to contact me below. I'm happy to chat and help work with you on your retirement plan. Please go and like and subscribe. If you're watching this on YouTube, ring the bell, send some comments over. I'm happy to answer them to the best of my ability. If you're listening to this, Make sure to follow on whatever podcast you like so you get next week's episode. We have a really, really good business-led financial planner that likes to talk about businesses and equity compensation with high net worth or high income individuals. It's going to be a good one. Stay tuned for next week. Thanks for listening. The information provided in these podcasts is only to be considered helpful hints and education. Nothing said in any of these podcasts is to be misconstrued as specific tax, legal, or investment advice. Consult with your tax, legal, or investment professional before acting on anything discussed on these shows.